is that part of the Jesus we know. We probably had that experience when we have suddenly learned something new about a person who is very near and dear to us. Maybe as we grow up, as we grow older, as we experience more life, we start seeing people in our lives differently. Parents, grandparents, siblings, maybe even spouses. What does it do to our image of that person when we discover and learn that something new? Jesus reveals himself to his disciples in such a way that they did not know before. And the story tells us they don't know how to take it. In fact, the story says they are afraid. But it goes even beyond that. Because it's not just that they learn something new about Jesus. It's that what they learn about Jesus shatters and breaks open everything they thought they knew about reality. I mean, yes, they know Jesus to be a teacher. They know Jesus to even be a healer, a miracle worker. But what happens to these disciples up on that mountain challenges and explodes everything they thought they knew to be true. Several years ago, there was a remake of the movie Carrie. Carrie is a story about a girl who develops powers being able to move things with her mind. And as a way to promote this movie, there was a stunt done in a city, in this little coffee shop, where a girl has an argument with a man and she just pushes him away, as you see here on the screen. You might not be able to tell, but there's a little divider behind uh, the wall that he's up in. So he's strapped to a harness, there's wires there, and so when she makes the motion to move him, these mechanics pull him back on this wire and he shoots straight up. Now, of course, the effect is nobody else in the coffee shop knows that this is happening. So they think they're actually witnessing someone perform telekinesis. Just imagine what that would be like. Let's say you're at your favorite coffee shop or grocery store or wherever, and you see a girl being able to do this. Would you be in awe? Would you lift up your hands and say, praise God, or would you be terrified? I think I'd be terrified. And people are running out of the store. Um, One guy is even kind of putting whatever he has up uh, to protect him. I mean, the people in this shop are terrified all from this stunt. If so many of our rules of reality were suddenly just blown apart, how would we really react? And yet... We profess that we believe and we follow someone who literally rose from the dead. When was the last time we actually let that profoundly impact and maybe even unnerve us? Several years ago, I officiated the wedding for my brother-in-law, which happened to be in Hawaii. Now, I know that was a big arm twist, but I felt it was my pastoral duty to go and perform this ceremony. One of the things that uh, our family did, this was Morgan's side of the family, is they decided that they wanted to go see an active volcano. This all happened in Mount Kilauea uh, when the volcano was active several years ago. Now, as a Midwesterner, this would never have occurred to me to get into a boat across the ocean and witness an active volcano. But Morgan's family is a little bit more adventurous than I am. So we got on a boat. We went all the way out there. And it was interesting, the, the, the ride there was fairly smooth and, and uh, nice. And as we got there, as we saw this 
as we saw this miracle, the water, as you might imagine, was very choppy. Um, because not only was there uh, pressure coming out from the very top, there was also pressure coming from below. And so as we got there, it was like you were in a giant jacuzzi. And it very much felt like a hot tub jacuzzi, at least on one side of the boat. On the other side of the boat, it actually felt very cold. So we're actually feeling these water pressure bubbles coming up under the ship. At one, t- at one point, I wondered if the ship was going to crack open because it was bubbling and churning, and it actually felt hot to the touch. And uh, so on one side, it's really hot. On the other side, it's really cold. And, of course, by this time, we're all seasick. So everyone's overboard, you know, spewing their guts out. And while all of that is happening, I'm watching this. This is actually a picture that I took. I couldn't really see everything that was happening. I saw a little bit of the lava, and of course it was very bright, and it was pouring over out into the ocean, and that was causing all of the steam to rise up. And so I only got glimpses. But in the midst of that, in, in the midst of the, of the heaving, in the midst of the boat, you know, feeling like it was going to explode, looking through this cloud, or at least trying to look for it, the, 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 the words that kept coming to me was, I should not be seeing this. I am too finite. I am too human to be witnessing what we've only read about in science books and even Genesis. Just looking through the cloud and just seeing what was behind there, not even fully seeing it, it was a traumatic miracle. And all the way on the boat ride home, of course, we're even sicker than ever now, and just thinking about what it was like to witness that moment. Then Moses climbed the mountain, And the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of God settled over Mount Sinai. The cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called out of the cloud to Moses. In the view of the Israelites below, the glory of God looked like a raging fire at the top of the mountain. Moses entered Moses entered the middle of the cloud and climbed that mountain. And he was there on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. That's from Exodus. In the midst of the people wandering through the wilderness, wondering where their home was going to be, Moses went into that cloud. About a month after we got home from Hawaii, we were looking through CNN, and we actually saw an article that the very boat that was taking tourists out to the mountain uh, was destroyed. It wasn't totally destroyed, but at that point, the pressure was, was so huge that giant rocks, pieces of earth, were shooting up into the sky, falling back down. And actually, I kid you not, one of them crashed in the seats that we were in just a month before. What would it be like to go into the midst of what was happening? I mean, do we allow ourselves to approach the mountain? Do we allow ourselves to walk into the cloud? To be open and ready for our reality to be broken open at any moment? Do we allow ourselves to even sit beside someone whose reality 
has exploded. Disaster responses. The individuals and families who have had to deal with the hurricane these last several months. The massive earthquake in Turkey and Syria. I was listening to a report the other day of this couple. They were uh, woken up. Of course, this was very early in the morning, and they thought at first that it was just a normal earthquake, whatever that may mean. And they said the ground literally opened in front of them. And they said they heard this sound like a supernatural wailing as the hole just opened up and ate everything below them. When people's realities are blown apart, from mass shootings. Just in our own community, 11 people injured. Just in an intersection on a normal day that a split second later was not normal anymore. A family, a couple, losing their child to miscarriage. What do we do when our worlds are blown apart? Someone asked me that just this week, just this last week. They had witnessed someone die in front of them, and they said, what does the church say in times like this? Peter broke in and said to Jesus, Master, what would you think if I built three memorials here on this mountain, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah? The things that we say at times. You just need to pray harder. God needed another angel. The Lord works in mysterious ways. These things that we say to try to put structure and normalcy, explanations around this thing which has happened and has shattered our world. Why do we have this need to cover things up? Perhaps it is our nature to house and to build things, to protect, to cover up, to make us feel more comfortable, more normal. And yet we see time and time and time again, that is not how God works. The story continues, while Peter was going on like this babbling, a light radiant cloud enveloped them, and a sounding from deep in the cloud was a voice, this is my son, marked by my love, focus of my delight, listen, listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell flat on their faces, scared to death. But then Jesus came over and touched them. And then they heard something else. Do not be afraid. And so when they opened their eyes, they looked, and all around, all they saw was Jesus. Only Jesus. We do not build things to meet God. And I say this in the midst of a renovation campaign that we were in. And I would bet, well, we don't bet, we're Methodists. I would believe, I would believe, I do believe, that any and all of our folks 
who are in the midst of this renovation campaign, our leaders, our contributors, our supporters, are certainly our youth and neighborhood ministry ministers, all of them would say, we are not building this so that people will meet God. For we believe they meet God in much more powerful ways than coming to a building. We do not build things to meet God, and we do not build things to be the church. Church does happen here, but it also happens out there. And it happens where we live. Where we live. The church does not sit. The church lives in the midst of mystery. Because it is not the mission of the church to explain God. It is the mission of the church to share God in all that God is, in all that God reveals, in all that God does. And the reality is we cannot share what we don't have. As Riley has said many, many times, if you can fully understand your God, your God ain't big enough. It is okay for us to be able to say in times, whether it is seemingly normal times or times when our world has been shattered, that when we have these questions about God, what is God doing? Where is God in the midst of this? It is okay for us as the church to say, I don't know. I don't know. But I will go through this with you. It is okay to worship and to celebrate and to share a God of mystery. We saw this so many times during the pandemic. And those memories might be fading away, but remember how mysterious and how uncertain, how frightening it was at times? And we heard so many people say, when was the church, when is the church going to open again? And our response each and every time was, it never closed. The physical doors may have closed, but your doors, your doors never did. Because you continue to love and you continue to serve and you continue to support. And gradually over time, we continue to come back physically as a people, but spiritually, we had never left each other. And we tried things, things like lawn worship and things like different classes and different groups. And little by little, not only did we come back, but also individuals and families and people in our community started to see our church, started to see us in a new way. And now, of course, as we have fully reopened, as we have tried to get back to other things, we've also seen that some of those things have not worked and also experimenting in new ways has actually worked wonders. Art groups, recovery groups, conversation groups who some may meet at the church, others may meet in the community, mission groups, starting new neighborhood partnerships, neighborhood ministries reaching out to new children, driving the buses places they've not gone in years. And any of us who see those buses know that the mileage on those things have gone far and wide, very far very wide, and they continue to be there as a means of support for children and families in need. People who would not have looked twice at our church, walking by and thinking that church is too big, it's too prestigious, it's too historic, it's too whatever for me, are now thinking to themselves, maybe 
just maybe. We can show Lakeland how church can be if we are not afraid to share a God who is mysterious. And so as we are leading up to the season of Lent, a a time which, yes, we can use the word depressing, or we can say that's too ritualistic for me or that is too whatever, but as a part of us living out and embodying a season of what does it mean to walk in the mystery of God? What does it mean to walk with the mysterious God in the season that I am in or in the season that my friends or family or just people who I have seen who are hurting? What is it like to walk into that cloud? And as we continue to see God revealed in Jesus Christ through the season of Lent, through Monday, Thursday, through Good Friday, and then, of course, through the miracle, the celebration of the resurrection. It is a way for us to go through the mystery, not to explain it. All we need to do is open our eyes, to open our minds, to open our hearts, to listen, to look, and to not be afraid of what we will see, of what we will hear, of what we will experience, because it will be Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And so as we go, let us know that we are, in fact, on holy ground. But for those who are worshiping with us and those who are in the community, that is holy ground as well. And whether we are here at worship or whether we celebrate neighborhood ministry through supporting their ministry and even maybe enjoying some barbecue in the meantime, all of that is a sign of holiness in our community. Let us not be afraid to walk into the cloud and to see what is on the other side, because when we do, it will be Jesus, only Jesus. And may that give us peace. Amen.